you moved from Joburg. Mm -hmm. Okay, how long ago was that? Um, 26 years ago now. Oh, wow. Yeah, 26 years yeah. ago. I married Adam, who you meet briefly just now as he goes to the gym. Mm -hmm. And he was from Cape Town. Yeah. And we got married. And okay. I, came to live here, I came to live here. Yeah. Which I didn't mind at all because as a child I had been here three times on holiday. And uh, as a family, we have lots of friends here. Mm -hmm. My parents had lots of friends in Cape Town. So um, I loved Cape Town. And I always said to my family, please, let's move, please, let's move. And I think God, God answered that prayer. <laughs> None of them moved. I have wow. a couple of cousins here yeah. who moved here, but that's it. Okay, mm. I see. And have you seen the area change in those 26 years? I have. You know, it's not always apparent. Um, when you're walking through the streets, um, um, I've seen people upgrade their houses, local people from here, mm -hmm. you know, um, houses in a, in a better condition, some houses, mostly they were always uh, good since I got here. The community has remained the same in terms of the friendliness and the warmth and, um, you know, their passion. Woke up and I, I woke up as a very passionate community yeah. about anything that happens locally, internationally. They will voice their concerns mm -hmm. or they, you know, they care. So yeah. that has always remained the same. I don't feel that there's been a change. Um, and uh, but I've seen people come in. So right. when we moved in here, my husband is white South African. And uh, it was already difficult to find a house here, not for any reason, but uh, that people were, weren't selling. Oh. People were just remaining here. And that if they did sell, it often got sold within the community because someone was looking for a house. So before they could even advertise it, I'm sure, uh, someone would hear about it and approach okay. them. So there wasn't an issue with high market prices and what the buyer wanted and what the seller mm -hmm. wanted. And it was pretty like normal kind of transactions, I would imagine. But it's changed. So we've got a very um, a changing community. You know, it's still changing all the time. Yeah. And, um, and that hasn't for me had a, neg a negative impact. We've had a couple of incidences with neighbors. Um, but I would say that as a result of uh, them owners renting out property to people who are not sensitive to the community or to the neighbor or to the lifestyle here. Okay. So and and Airbnbs. Yes. That definitely I yeah. feel has a negative impact. Uh, it 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 brings in income to many people who are not traditionally from Boca. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of foreign owned. Properties. Yes. Yeah. Properties. Yeah. 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 In fact, on that point. We have a young architect, um, candidate architect, Mishka Colliers. She, about two years ago, I think it was, she did a study on the Airbnbs just to get a feel of what was happening to the area. Right. And one of the ways that she could do that concretely was to look at um, who owned the Airbnbs, how many they mm -hmm. were, and uh, who owned them. And of the 50 that she found, 48 belonged to foreign nationals. That is that's like a, and that's two years ago. So you can yeah. imagine how much more yeah. uh, are they are now. You know, everybody likes the pretty boy camp and wants to live here. 
um, and I and it's fine if it comes with, um, you know, if if it comes with a, a a lovely letter that the host can write and leave on a table, <laughs> and give a little bit of history or a feel of the community so that people have an idea. Yeah, I'm not sure people are doing that. Mm. Okay. And when you talk about some of the um, instances you may have had with people renting, what are some of those? Mm. Well, noise, parties right. till one, two. Yeah. We've had Airbnb people um, right next door to us, um, busy chatting and laughing three, half past three in the morning on the yeah. on their patio. So our because of the style of the houses here, we mm. are semi-detached houses, so we're all linked. And so our patio is literally, there's only a wall dividing our mm -hmm. patio and theirs. So we hear a lot of noise. <coughs> I came from uh, like a semi-rural area in Joburg yeah. called Grasmere. Okay. And so they were, they were, the houses were big on big plots of land traditionally. And um, so my, to get to my neighbor, I, I would walk, you know, 200 meters mm -hmm. or, or so to get to the neighbor or or further mm -hmm. and so you know, lots of trees and gravel roads and that kind of thing then um, and so when I got married and came here we lived together uh, Adam and I were got married we lived in a flat and um, it was in in Claremont Newland and so it was very different for me um, I, I, li I liked it. There was a pool downstairs. It was mm -hmm. very, very different. <coughs> and he, uh, he walked across the road, so it was convenient. Okay. But then we started looking for a house because we were renting. <coughs> and every time he used to travel to Joburg and other parts of the country still for work. And every time he came home from a trip, he would like, we would eat, or even the weekends when he wasn't away. Whenever we took a drive, he would end up here and walk out. And it's like, oh, you know, this place is so beautiful. And I'm like, yeah, it is beautiful, you know. I, I, was, I was fascinated by the colorful houses. And then I didn't know about Up, Although I had visited Cape Town uh, previously as a child, I'd never seen it. Yeah. I didn't know that it existed. Yeah. So here I was exposed to it, and it was very pretty. But my idea of, of a house while I was growing up was one that I didn't have. One with a nice garden and, you know, with a leafy street and, mm. you know, with my neighbors that I could, you know, wave to, yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. So because I lived, I saw my friends live a different life mm. when I was growing up. So I, that was what I thought would be nice. So when he would drive through here, I'm like, no, man, you know, where's the, where are the gardens and there's no space. Yeah. No trees. It's the, the big thing. The big thing for me for for years and years and even now is missing yeah. the trees because I grew up with lots of green around me. But even so, like there's barely any trees and I, and he just kept saying, you know, my heart says we need to come and live here. Mm. And it well, we couldn't find a house. I like okay, you know, let's just do this. Couldn't find a house and one day I found a tiny little advertisement um, for a two bedroom house in Burka. And one of the things we'd been told by some friends was that if you want to live in this area, it doesn't matter what you find, no matter how small it was or whatever, just get into the community and then you've got your foot in the door mm -hmm. and then if something goes for sale that you really like, 
then you can you can move to that and that's exactly what happened so we moved into this <coughs> little two-bedroom house and um, a year later we, uh, we'd already befriended many people in the area I was all I had a, a little um, uh, spot in a local market here in Buakap and so through that I met many people and one of them was my current neighbor and they knew that we were looking for something closer to mosques Okay. And, and a bigger house. Yeah. And so when the neighbor here, this house moved away, was thinking of moving and had to move quickly because of a job that he got in jo in Johannesburg, oh. um, he called us. Oh, okay. And so that was it. Oh. Moved into the bigger house, mm -hmm. sold the other one, and we've been in this one now for 24 years. Hmm. Wow. And um, have you kind of seen your rates go up a lot? in that time yeah okay definitely so from houses costing 120,000 to 150,000 for the decent size house maybe 200,000 for bigger houses when we first moved in yeah uh, or maybe even a bit more higher up but still they were uh, of course relative to the the house prices at the time yeah those are the prices of the houses and because it wasn't an area that was in demand yeah. by other people our rates were, were low I mm. can't remember what they were but I'm quite sure I'll have something somewhere that will give us an indication but I think it might have been as low as 300 rand mm. and then uh, and then it just increased the more the property boomed in the area and the more other people uh, foreigners and other people in South Africa who had money um, and could buy in this area and the more people realized in my area that they could they could get more money by selling to someone outside of the area outside mm -hmm. of the family in most cases in some cases they they got their money they right. that changed the whole scene of mm -hmm. the rate the price of property and the rate and the rate the rates so I mean, like right now, people are paying um, 1,200, 1,500, 2,000 rands for property rates in this area, yeah. which is very, very uh, scary because what it does now is it pushes people out of the area. People who've been here traditionally because they can't afford to pay the rates. A lot of those people are, if, if you know, in the 20 years that I've been here, when I was 20, in my early 20s then, those people are now in the in in retirement yeah and so and a lot of them worked um, uh, you know didn't work in like I don't want to general generalize but many people in my area get a state uh, pension yeah and the state pension is low so you can't yeah. pay so what was the home the family home where grandma and grandpa and great-grandma and great-grandpa lived and perhaps another generation more even in most mm. cases um, now has gets the, the family loses it right mm. yeah because that's what I'm looking at basically is that gentrification is happening and then obviously it's happening in many places in Cape Town but I feel like it's very different when it comes to here because here people are offered millions for their homes whereas mm. like maybe in Soldier be offered a couple thousand maybe mm. to relocate and you yeah. know Shannon the scary part is that those places, Woodstock and Salt River, mm. 
are going through what we went through in our early days. So mm. they're going to get to this point as well. Yeah. If nothing gets done and nothing is getting done. Yeah. You know, and it's such a, uh, it's kind of like between, <coughs> it's, it's such a space, you're placed in a position where you have no choice. It's, um, I either am hungry in my house with my children mm -hmm. and have no food, yeah. or I sell and go and live somewhere else in, and that would be far away, yeah. in uh, perhaps um, some areas of the Cape Flats where you can still buy cheaper houses mm -hmm. and have some money left from the sale yeah. to be able to feed my family, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, it's. Well, well, how do you make a decision? Of right. course, you're going to want to see to your family. Yeah. So poverty, if woke up, it's so pretty, but mm. we have poverty in our area. Mm. And I think some, you know, from a conversation that I, I had a couple of months ago at a friend's birthday party, people around the table had the assumption that woke up was woke up people were okay, and I asked them why, and mm. they said, well, it looks pretty people are maintaining their homes and that but they only see one side yeah. of work up and they only see the pretty mm -hmm. colorful houses mm -hmm. you know um so yeah i don't think the reality of what's happening in work up actually um it, i don't think people see that yeah i mean even like uh when the royals came mm. shortly before they came there was i think a homeless man who was like there, the police were trying to calm him down because he had managed to get through. I mean, yeah. that was like, I don't know I if the media caught that. that. Yeah. Were you here? Yeah. And you saw it? Yeah. Oh, Which no, is I very interesting see to see that. Yeah, like yeah. a few minutes before, you know. And you know, uh, this is what my community, I have my own feelings about the royals, I said, and mm -hmm. I'm not going to talk about that now. Okay. <laughs> but I wasn't here, right? Uh, it was my grand. My step-grandson's uh, 16th birthday, which is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And even if it wasn't his 16th, it was a big deal. So we went off just as they came in. We were leaving the area, but I mean, it took us uh, five to eight minutes to get out of the area, choosing other roads. Um, and I know on our community chat, our local community chat, one of the chats, that people are, were talking about it and there are people who have different views of it. Yes. You know? but. One thing that happened, and with all due respect to anybody who, who sees the Middle East situation differently, mm. but we had Palestinian flags. Yes, oh my goodness. Heard about I put this on Twitter and I was like, why does no one care about this? They've been there for years yeah. and suddenly where are they? And they were the, the new ones were put up this Ramadan. Yes. Um, and one of the local uh, ladies uh, actually put, bought them to put oh. them up. Yeah. And everybody keeps asking, you know, and she keeps asking, I see yesterday even she asked, where are my Palestinian yeah. flags? And nobody is saying anything. So oh, I wow. don't know who took them off. Yeah. I, I don't know who knows that who took them off yeah. even. Because nobody, nobody is, nobody from the more important circles or the civic or the other organization circles are saying, they, they're saying they know nothing about it. So mm. it's very strange. It I strange. would love to see this. So one of the cameras having captured. Yes, this. I'm sure they are. I am quite sure, and I think someone <laughs> would. This young woman is quite feisty. I'm quite sure she will yeah. go to those lengths to see what happened. 
Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's, yeah, I've been wondering about that as so well. So that's like a, a mini moment mm. of, a, of a big kind of, uh, uh, um, how can I say, robbing the community yeah. of something that they support. Yes. You know? Yes. In, in, and I'm generalizing, but that's the, the general no. uh, sentiment in our area. Mm. Yeah. No, and that's one of the most amazing things about the area, I think, because where else can you go in the country where it's so prominent? Mm. Like, it's amazing. So, mm. yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, and then, what else? In terms of, what would you say, like, are some of the defining cultural aspects of, like, just of the area? Because, I mean, you touched on it a little bit. Yeah. But that's what I'm trying to define, because culture is something a little bit intangible it's yes. hard to describe but yeah you, you know uh shannon this is such a beautiful question and i could talk about it for hours because mm. and i think i have such an appreciation of for it still today 25 years later that uh because it's so it's so special yeah so a simple thing is we were we have cameras and the cameras are very unfortunate because of car break-ins that used to happen um, and it's been a bit quiet in our street for a while now but still um, and then people sometimes get robbed in that but the, mm. the level of crime in our area isn't as um, as high as other areas it's actually yeah. quite uh, nobody wants crime ever but it's quite decent you know we don't have a, a, a house break-ins we had a house break-in I think it was a year ago or a year and a half ago and the woman was beaten up uh, a bit uh, and then we had one recently of an elderly woman who was taken advantage of obviously very vulnerable yeah. and, and that but it's it shocks the community when that mm. happens because it really happens yeah. we all look out for each other yeah. so we we have these cameras and we were we when we're sitting and having tea sometimes the the camera station is on we say we called our favorite uh, TV station and uh, my daughter in was not from the from our area and been here for two years still is in wonderment of the people walking um, in the street late at night mm. especially if it's women especially yeah. if it's just two women walking yeah. up the street and that's one of the small things that <clears throat> that is so special that the safety and the, the neighborliness and all of that is um it, it still exists here yeah. like when when we have the hajj these and when people are going on hajj before that people are visiting so we go and visit people who are going on hajj <coughs> we go there to ha to sit to listen to stories of other people who've been on hajj that they that are sharing it with the with the new uh soon-to-be hajjis and so people in that time you'll see women walking back alone and men, but women, you know, walking back home alone at one in the morning, at mm. half past one in the morning. And it's okay, you yeah. know? And it's, it's kind of part of that Hajj tradition now, mm. that you see people walking up and down and visiting or yeah. standing outside, sitting outside on the house wall while if the house is packed with people. Um, to listen to the Adhan and I remain, I, it only comes to me when someone comes to visit and they ask me what time is the next prayer mm. and I'm like I don't know <laughs> because I don't look at my watch yeah. to know the time of the prayer 
I listen to the to the Adhan, the call yeah. to prayer, to know what time it is. Um, I love that y yesterday I, I'm a tour guide, so I did a tour, and I was, I was supposed to ho be home by one latest. So I got home at two. The first reason was that my group was so comfortable at one of the women's houses in the area, and so they took a little more time. But also on my way back, it took me 45 minutes yesterday to get from to uh, Wales Street, which mm -hmm. is just to, you know, the next one here is Dork, and yeah. then it's Wales. From Wales Street to here took me 45 minutes because of who I spoke to along the way. Oh, wow. And this <laughs> happens all the time. So if I'm in a real hurry, yeah. I actually need to say, chat because we, we are very, um, we're very conscious of not, of not being rude, you know, yeah. or seen to be rude. So even while doing a tour, I'd be greeting people all the time. And then I have to like say to everybody, listen, I'm not, it's not because I'm popular. If you were walking <laughs> with anybody in this mm. area, They'd be greeting people yeah. just like that because of the warmth we have in our yeah. community. But it doesn't matter what I'm doing. Greeting is very important in my religion and in my community. Mm -hmm. So those kind of things, you know, walking back and then uh, Auntie Faiza down the road starts chatting to me about this. Or I get to know on my way home who's not well, mm -hmm. who's getting married, mm -hmm. what's happening in the community. So that still exists. That... Uh, network of information yeah. <laughs> you know that goes around yeah. and it doesn't have to be through whatsapp messages only yeah. so i i love those kind of things i love also that people in our community will take time to to find out how you are mm. you know and uh, or will take time to um um you know just to even if it's complaining about something, you know, they, that's how things get, hap get done in the community because there's this network of information that goes around, mm -hmm. people will stand together then and say, this is not acceptable, yeah. or wow, this is happening, you yeah. know? Um, and I love that. So it's all these things that one can't see when you're walking around the area, but that I know that we experience yeah. uh, daily. Mm. And um, about the tourism and the tours that you do, where do you take people and you know, what's your overall view on that? Like what kind of stories do you try to tell them? And then also who comes on the tours? Okay, yeah. so I became a tour guide because I started hearing stories that I'd never heard. Mm. Um, and I didn't know I was gonna become a tour guide. In fact, some, a friend of mine suggested it to me because I kept sharing things with her. And um, so I, I was fascinated after we moved into an area that I didn't want to move into because I wanted to go to some suburban, proper suburban place. And um, my first experiences were people, with people were that they treated me just like any other person in the area, like a daughter, like a niece. So they would, they would give me advice on my baby when they, you know, even though I wasn't looking for it, but that's the kind of family I come from. So it made right. me feel very at home. Yeah. Uh, it made me feel less homesick. Yeah. And, uh, and then I would hear stories, you know, and, I, and then when I enjoyed them so much and I was fascinated by this history in the area and, I, and what I heard from some people, I would share at other times 
with other people in my community and they sometimes didn't know mm. about the things that I was talking about. And then I, I became so passionate about wanting to know more and more. I started a attending lecture talks, open lectures, etc. And then I would share even more. And then a friend of mine uh, uh, said to me one day, you know, why don't you become a guide and share these stories? And I was very, very nervous. I thought it was a great idea. My children are primary school. I had time on my hands in the morning. Mm -hmm. If I did a walking tour in the area, and there were two women who I actually job shadowed also uh, mm -hmm. a couple of times at the beginning, and I'm grateful for that. Um, I, I thought it's, it's so convenient. I don't have to leave home and I can set my times and still be home in the afternoon but doing something that I really like to do and I think I got this from my dad who is a who likes to seek out information especially mm -hmm. about families mm -hmm. who are you related to where did your family come from and I'm I'm just like that to this day my husband will go like oh here we go again <laughs> <laughs> so um, so yeah, so that was the the start of my 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 storytelling in the area, but because also very importantly, I wasn't taught the history that I was hearing orally, or the history that was being unearthed at universities or through lay historians. That history wasn't taught to me or anybody around me in Johannesburg and neither in Cape Town. Our history books were designed to give you only a certain amount of information and colonialism and apartheid in my opinion including colonial colonial colonialism and there needs to be a heavy responsibility there actually wiped out oral history to a great extent because people were made to feel ashamed of their roots uh, the word slave was always such a derogatory and negative word mm. that people were made to feel ashamed of the, the, the where they came from and their slave heritage. So, you know, once you start hearing more and more of where these enslaved people came from, who they were and what lives they led before they came here, you start becoming proud mm -hmm. of your people, you know. Yeah. And so I started wanting to share that so, so that people could really understand, uh, understand that. But I shared it very little with my community that was a very casual ad hoc if it came up kind of conversation but I then started sharing with everyone but I was saying that I was very nervous at the beginning because I felt like I wasn't from here and people were going to judge me and say who are you to tell our story so I've been very careful over the years even now I have my own work up stories but if I ever make reference to other stories I talk about it, I will say Auntie Khalija said so, or I've heard the elders say this, because it is not my story. Um, uh, my story in World Cup is 25 years old, mm. not 300 years old, not 250 years old. So I do my tours and I, I do them mainly for foreigners, so people who are visiting from outside the country, but my, my largest um, uh, market is actually and that happens through my journey is um is from organizations that bring uh foreign exchange students so travel oh. abroad students okay. to cape town who 
could come to UCT for short programs. Now they have their own program running. Stellenbosch, the same thing. So my largest um, market lies there. Okay. So it's educational. Yeah. It's uh, it's sometimes it's subject specific. Yeah. They'd call me and say we we're focusing on Af Afrikaans because these students do Afrikaans as a subject, or we're okay. focusing on enslavement, um, that kind of thing. So yeah. that's my largest market. Then after that are tourists, but I must say that I have local tourists. Mm -hmm. And what I like, for example, my husband is white South African, came from that background, and a couple of years ago, he's uh his old boys club was celebrating a big uh, I don't know what it was so many years mm. of having left school I can't tell um. you what it is I don't want to <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to offend him um, it could be 60 they 60th okay. yeah maybe the 60th anniversary and so um, they asked, you know, uh, if I would do a tour. Yeah. And I did a tour for them and their wives because it was a boys' school. And yesterday, a couple of years later, one of the wives had uh, an in intention from then till now to bring a group of her friends from Somerset West mm. on this tour. So yesterday I had this group of um, nine people um, who are, are all... Uh, retired from mm. their from their main jobs, and um, and wanting to know more about the history of South Africa, which shows that I'm sure they knew some, but yeah. were fascinated by other parts of it, especially yeah. parts that wouldn't have ordinarily uh, been of interest to them when they were young yeah. and growing up. Yeah. But now it's like what you know, they want to see the old mosque, they want to know about Tuan Guru, they want uh, when I spoke about Afrikaans. There was this wow because a lot of some of them are Afrikaans speaking, okay. you know. Yeah. Um. So that's my market, and I think I've covered two of your questions. I think there was a yeah. third one. Was there no, third no, one? that's it, basically. But um, when you mention Afrikaans, mm. do you kind of link it to some Arabic words? So what I when I speak about Afrikaans, I talk about firstly how I fought personally with my friends and and students around South Africa during apartheid, we fought against being taught Afrikaans, the language of the oppressor, yes. because that's what we knew it to be. Yeah. And then how, um, and how so many years later, I discover through um, one of our local historians who's passed away now, uh, Ahmed Davids, I discover that Afrikaans didn't come from the Afrikaners. Mm. It actually came about because of the varied mix of languages that existed here and the slaves having to communicate with each other and the s slave owners needing to communicate with their slaves. And so a lot of Dutch was used, but there was such an, uh, an input of other words mm. that were mixed in this pot that created the language Afrikaans. And a lot of those words were taken out in proper Afrikaans, but are still used in our community today. So the Afrikaans as it, as it was then um, has changed because an Afrikaner person took it and said, you know, okay, let me just step back is, Afrikaans was used as a religious medium, uh, teaching medium, 
in the in the amongst uh, Muslim enslaved people, and continued after that. And so the oldest Afrikaans book to date is written that's been found is written in the Arabic script. Mm. Um, and besides that, a lot of Arabic kitabs, as we would call them, or, or religious books were written in the Arabic script, but they were Afrikaans. So it was using a different script. And this is where also someone in our community, Fauzi days, this was me the other day, is that our, our she said our ancestors were known to be illiterate because they didn't speak Dutch or write in the Roman script. Oh. But they were literate just in their own scripts, not only Arabic, there must have been yeah. some form of Sanskrit here at the beginning, etc. So, yeah, I link the Afrikaans to religion and how then the missionaries who came into, uh, the, into the Cape had to use that very language mm. to teach enslaved or previously enslaved people, mm. enslaved and previously enslaved people, in the language that they could understand and it then becomes a teaching medium at, yeah. at for, for Christianity yeah. and then gets taken over and um, owned by the Afrikaner people mm. and and I mean the entire South Africa is, is then led to believe and that's how powerful propaganda can be, mm. right? The entire South Africa including the Afrikaner people gets led to be to believe that Afrikaans came from the Afrikaner. Yeah. And in in interestingly it was two Afrikaners who raised this, uh, two professors in nineteen sixty three in oh, wow. a, a, at a university in uh, then Orange Free State, who said who made the statement hmm. of where Afrikaans actually came from. Wow. And it wasn't taken lightly. Yeah. You know, of course. Imagine. And Ahmed Davids um, who who understood it in his own research and as a you know he, he as as uh, someone who spent hours and hours uh, or hundreds of probably days researching the history of the area and history of Afrikaans then uh, realizes this you know and then finds this this connection and then makes contact with these mm -hmm. professors and they and the story then of Afrikaans continues the oh, true wow. story. So he wrote a book, which is an okay. amazing book. Some some of it is a bit higher than my academic uh, <laughs> intelligence, but um, he wrote a book called The Afrikaans of the Cape Muslims. Okay. And um, and the wonderful thing is that the SBA SBR is an is a um, Afrikaans um, organization for the preservation of Afrikaans. Oh. They've existed for a while, but they have acknowledged the roots of Afrikaans. So wow. it's, it's like a big deal yeah. for me, for them, you know, for them to acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. And what they do now for maybe four or five years is they come to Buakaf to do an annual celebration of Afrikaans. Mm. And, um, and they even last year, had a um, easier read, more condensed version of the book oh. written in Afrikaans. Oh wow, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So Jeez. it's a big acknowledgement yeah. from their from their side. Definitely. Yeah. Wow. So interesting. I knew some of that, but definitely yeah. not all of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
Um, yeah, I think that's all my questions. Okay. Um, this has been so great. Do you have anything else you would want to add? Or? Um, no, just that my children have been uh, brought up here. Yeah. Uh, born in Cape Town and brought up here, and they know work up to be home. And that's very special for me. Um, and uh, work up is is um, is a place that is, um, as I said, I think the best word to describe work up is passionate. Sometimes we'll have differences of opinions between ourselves, but it is tomorrow we hug and we we go on, you know. And true yeah. uh, for me, Islamic fashion because mm-hmm. when we're in a, in any space. Uh, and work up is just that kind of a space where, where you, it, uh, you don't have to be in the mosque or at a prayer, but you see someone on the street and it has this feeling, almost like this um, blanket of, um, of a certain value system. Yeah. And so when you're out on the street and you see someone, it's like, what the hell? You know, that's so small in the bigger scheme, uh, scheme of things. So we get very passionate. <laughs> we argue with each other and I've become just like everybody else. But I come from that kind of like, a, you know, my family would have arguments around or differences of opinion that thrash it out. And that's sometimes foreign to other people. So I think sometimes mm-hmm. when people come into our areas, it's like, oh my word, you know what's going mm-hmm. on here. I also want to point out something, maybe, I don't know where this fits into it. Maybe it fits into gentrification. Yeah. Like, um, there are people who come into our area that are very well-intentioned. So, South Africa is a free country. Boka people are not saying that only we, Muslim people as apartheid, uh, created this Malay group Mm -hmm. area, must live here. Not at all. Everybody is very open to having neighbors and that. However, because it is still so much Muslim and so much, carries so much of that culture, what the least we expect is some respect. You know, you can still drink in your home, you can still have a party in your home, all those kind of things. But when you start complaining of the call to prayer being too loud, Mm -hmm. or can't they turn it down, I can't sleep in the morning, or uh, one, one thing that is, is a is a discussion right now like a hot potato in workout for some people is that um the the carbs are closer um you know it's it's coming to that time of the year right. so what happens at this time of the year is that teams come in from other other areas with fans oh. and they come into our area and it happens to be a sunday evening mostly I think sometimes they might take a chance on a Saturday and that. But they come into our area to practice. So it's, they've not been given permission to come in to practice. The police don't know about it, that kind of thing. There was no permission uh, sought officially. Okay. And the community, like most people, is like, ah, it's, you know, it's nice to hear the music in the background. Yeah. But for a lot of people who live in that area where they practice, it can be very frustrating. It's a time of the year, and it, people complain about this all the time. It's a time of the year where people are starting to study and get down to their books seriously. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's the time of the year where um, 
uh, well, not not the time of the year, but just when people are actually feeling like uh, uh, people come in here, they litter, their language is it, it might not be appropriate. Some people, of course, amongst the the group, um, they sometimes use the, the walls as a toilet, you know, oh. to to urinate against. Um, they've been like heavy fondling going out on outside someone's house or at the, at the, on the side of the mosque and that kind of thing. Mm. So those people who live in that area see it mm. and get very frustrated. And those are very people who experience high volumes of tourists walking to their mm. streets. So their lives are being impacted. Um, so this becomes a very sensitive subject because it's traditional to have the Kropse here in our mm. area. It's traditional for people in all areas of Cape Town to practice before December, mm -hmm. January. Um, but World Cup didn't always have people coming to practice here. Mm -hmm. So now we have to think about how come it was more difficult in the past because of laws uh, for people to come and do this here in World Cup. So it often happened in other areas. So now we have people in our area who complain about it. And then you have people who are who are traditionally here in families complain about it and then you have there's one man in particular who's not from the area been living here for for 10 years on the, although i only know him for about a year uh, uh not I, he's just i see him around and he's vocal he's not south african he's come to live here uh he might be south african citizen now but um he complains about it because it, he's in that thing. So, but how he does it mm. is a problem. Yeah. Like he, I think he's so well-meaning and he's trying to be well-meaning in the way he writes it yeah. and he puts it across, but he doesn't realize, you know, when we grow up with a certain uh, perspective, when we speak, we, we don't realize that it is insensitive the the language or the word or the way the the attitude mm. of of um, almost like uh, assertiveness mm. is disrespectful or seen as rude by the community and I think he's he means well and I think there are people in his area who would support him one hundred percent but because of the way it sounds it yeah. comes across as a very gentrified voice. Oh, okay. And yet he's involved in work up yeah. protests and like last year he got involved, he helped put up posters and mm. so I think he's well meaning but he needs um he needs like some education around words mm. and how things are said in the community. Can I ask where do those words go? Is that like social media or yeah. So we have a uh, one. Uh, we have several World Cup chats in World Cup. I believe yeah. I be I belong to to one that I started a while back. So it's a it's a platform for it's supposed to be news and business okay. for selling items, for telling oh. people about what's going on, for meeting, for the death, someone's funeral, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. But it's also become a platform for people to voice the mm. themselves, yeah. which is good. Yeah. And sometimes it gets heated, like mm. we normally do. And so even with him, it becomes heated, but he stands his ground. And I think it's okay to, for him to stand his ground, 
but he needs to be sensitive to how he does that. Yeah. Because when he stands his ground, he, it comes across because of our own experiences of how we were treated in the past, we are sensitive to how, um, if I can put that in inverted commas, white people. Yeah. yeah and he's not South African, but we see him as white still. Mm. You know, I met a, mm. a young girl who's German married here, and she, she keeps saying, I didn't do anything. Mm. And yet I get blamed, and I get labeled, and all of that. So it's a, like a whole uh, thing about, please understand that for South Africans, when they see white and they hear a certain uh, kind of, uh, what we might perceive as arrogance, yeah. uh, arrogantly saying something, yeah. and it's a perception that it angers us, or it mm. triggers us, or mm. it pushes buttons for us. Yeah. So I, uh, I'm, I thought about it a couple of months ago and I thought maybe I need to invite him over for a cup of tea. Yeah. And people have offered that and he yeah. has also said that to you. Let's sit down and talk. Okay. Maybe I'm missing something. Yeah. And then though the next week it's like, he just does it again. Oh. And, and then I think, oh my word. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go, you're in the firing line. Oh. So... Uh, and then I have Undina who lives across the road from me who is so sensitive to that. Mm. She's German, she's been living here for 16, 17 years, mm. wanted to live here, mm. um, fits in, she does yoga classes in the community, she's oh. been to mosques, she interacts with everyone, she visits the neighbors when they're sick, that kind of yeah. thing. And she does it from her heart, not yeah. because she has to, yeah. or, then, or she'll be good and accepted if she doesn't. Mm. She's dead genuine about about it. So, she, but she's very um, in tune with, I feel like with, uh, you know, with, the, with those sensitivi sensitivities that mm. South Africans have. Yeah. So you get these two kinds of people and then you get someone who's completely like a gentrifier. Yeah. You know, I don't want to call this other guy a gentrifier because I think he has good intentions mm. but you get other people who come in and just don't care yeah they really just don't care and that is a you just don't come into this area with that attitude mm. because people uh, neighbors in Burkhaf are wonderful I can be a wonderful neighbor to you mm. but as soon as you start kind of imposing stuff that doesn't gel with the community mm. then then you're you know you're rubbing me up the wrong way and then you're not going to be yeah pe people are not going to be always nice to you yeah you know or they're just going to ignore you yeah they don't have to be nasty to you but they're just not going to have time for you yeah yeah and that's yeah. obviously important to have that when you are in such a community so. I think so yeah. and I'm not saying that you come in and you need to change I'm no. saying yeah don't impose yes you know and don't don't complain about something that's been around for 200 years yeah exactly um, especially when you were living in yeah. yeah so someone made this comment on the chat uh, and I only caught up with this chat this morning because mm -hmm. I was busy uh, someone made the comment that um, you know years ago we said people who want to move to work up need to understand what they're moving into. Mm. Um, one of our local ladies said, the children in the park next door to me 
jump the fence at night even though the park's closed and sometimes during the holidays are busy playing kicking the ball sh- screaming and shouting mm. till one in the morning mm. it's part of the community noisy streets are part of the community yeah clocks are part of the community right so if you want something else go to clifton yes. <laughs> that's what someone <laughs> yes. said on the chat yeah which is true you yeah. know if you're seeking something else it, this is not just about pretty houses and a quaint look. Exactly. This is yeah. a whole community that have existed forever.